Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show brought to you by SaaSDoc. I'm Alex Thuma, and I'll be chatting to this week's guest about the challenges and rewards of growing a SaaS company. Before that, I just want to let you know about SaaSDoc Remote, which is our online conference happening on June the 10th and 11th. It's all geared around the three pillars of helping you, our SaaS founders, execs, companies, VCs, adapt, survive, and thrive during these times. Uh, It's a two-day event. We'll have uh, more than 3,000 attendees from across the world joining us, uh, uh, certainly at a time when you can't connect in person. This is a great opportunity to connect with your peers online. We'll have more than 150 speakers, including the likes of David Heinemar Hansen from Basecamp, Bill McKaitis, former CMO at Slack, at Zendesk and Salesforce. David Scott, Thomas Tungus, and more. So everyone who is anyone in SaaS uh, will either be there or be speaking. It'll include a virtual expo floor, networking and engagement, actionable keynotes and panels, interactive workshops and roundtables, matchmaking sessions, and lead generation opportunities for your company. So if you're a founder, exec, investor, or a startup in SaaS, we hope to see you there at SaaS.remote. Use the code SASREVOLUTION to get a discount of 20% off your tickets. They're already pretty cheap, starting at $129. So guaranteed to get much more than 10x uh, ROI. We hope to see you there. Go to sas.com forward slash remote. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution show, uh, Amir Orad, uh, CEO of Sisense. Uh, welcome, Amir. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on the, uh, uh, on the show. Uh, I think it's the first person from Sisense, or maybe I, I, I know that we've, uh, I, I, I've spoken in the past to uh, Saar Bittner, who uh, used to be VP of marketing yep. um, yeah, uh, for, for some time, and, uh, and SaaS.com came to uh, Tel Aviv. We did a, a SaaS.com tour a couple of years ago. Um, uh, and, and we had some folks from SciSense and Gong and, uh, and Salesforce uh, uh, involved. Um, yeah. But great to have you on the uh, on the podcast for the first time, and uh, uh, just in the in the run up to to SaaS.com Remote, which you'll be uh, speaking at uh, uh, on, on June the 10th or uh, uh, or 11th. Um, yeah, coming up. Excited for that. So, uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself first, um, uh, uh, as your your first time on the show. Tell our, our listeners who is uh, Amit Orad. Sure. So uh, in a nutshell, if before SciSense, I'm a, a SaaS veteran by now, I guess, because I actually had my first SaaS company in 2000. We called it back then subscription and ASP, and we call it hosting, not the cloud. But in essence, it was SaaS. And uh, we, you know, when the term MRR and ARR were just invented by Bessemer, Bessemer was one of the investors. So I've been doing a few startups from 2000, first one in cybersecurity analytics, second one around financial crime analytics, uh, both became quite big. Um, uh, the last one was over 200 mil revenue uh, named Actimize and uh, joined size since uh, five years ago. Three kids live in New York, uh, the center of the plague uh, right now, um, but uh, originally from uh, Israel, uh, where we still have a lot of employees also at SciSense. So that's in high level myself. And then SciSense, in really two sentences, we help people build analytics on uh, complex data and build those analytic apps and embed them in their business or products, uh, quite a late stage pre-IPO kind of company. Can you share some uh, data around the company? So how many employees, uh, I guess, how many locations, uh, any revenue funding that you've received? 
Yeah, so as I mentioned, we, we are late stage. We have over 100 million dollars in ARR. We announced last year we crossed the 100 million ARR. About 800 employees raised uh, over 250 million dollars in uh, funding over uh, five rounds. Some of our, uh, um, I would say, known VCs will be Battery, Bessemer, DFJ Growth, uh, Insight Ventures, and the like. So uh, I would say good uh, uh, backers of the company. We are uh, quite global today. Well, right now we're all remote, but we're quite global with uh, large offices in New York, California, Arizona, Tel Aviv, Kiev, London, Australia, Melbourne, Australia, and uh, Tokyo. So I would say we're quite global. Uh, over 2,000 customers, which include all the way to very, very large ones like uh, GE, Philips, Expedia, uh, and uh, all the way to the cream of the cream of the SaaS industry. Think about Seismic, UiPath, PagerDuty as customers, uh, Tinder and the like, and many, many SMBs across many industries from uh, the Salvation Army and the Red Cross, all the way to uh, colleges, universities, and uh, small mom and pop shops. You're currently in, in New York, which is you know one of the centers of the uh, of the pandemic. Yeah, you guys compete with us. Uh, yeah, 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 unfortunately, I mean it, it, it's definitely getting better here. I don't know about uh, sort of New York. I mean, the, certainly the daily death rates is you know it, it's way dropped, and uh, the the lockdown is starting to uh, to, to end as of. Uh, as of Monday, we're allowed to see six people in a garden, um, <laughs> but uh, not go in their house or stay over. Um, so that, 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 that'll be uh, quite interesting. But certainly we're seeing some positives. So, although, again, and not to be, to, to be negative, you look at uh, countries like Korea that, that did a great job at um, you know, locking down and uh, you know, really kind of combating the, the virus. Uh, uh, they're a little bit ahead of us, and, and we've seen that they, they've now done a more uh, you know, further lockdown in, Korea is the outbreak. So it'd be interesting to see how long this uh, disease stays with us. But, uh, um, but uh, I've been uh, over the last sort of couple of months with all the guests, uh, really kind of starting off just asking kind of one question around uh, sort of COVID and how it's, uh, you, you know, uh, how it's either you know, affecting uh, them, their business, the way they uh, adapted their business. So I'd be very keen to just understand uh, for you at SciSense, you know, what, what, what have you done to kind of adapt, you know, as a business, obviously, apart from remote work, uh, yeah. everybody's done remote but again 800 people going remotely you know overnight is, is a big thing but t tell us a little bit about what you've done sure so I, I would actually divide I think it's a really good question I'll divide the answer into three the people front uh, what we've done with the community and then the business and I think that's the right order because your number one priority as, as a company leader is to take care of your people at the end and um, what we have done besides the obvious remote from home was uh, to quickly realize that this is actually, people walked the hardest ever during the last few months. They had more meetings, more Zoom calls, more anything than before while trying to juggle multiple kids in the background and the family and personal life and pressure and getting food on their table and all of that stuff. So uh, um, what we're doing is A, a lot of over communication to the point I have a weekly video I share on Slack with the entire company of what's happening in the company across various dimensions. Number two, we literally mandated, now about once a month, a mandatory long weekend, we call it self-care day, where people are mandated to do nothing in work. It's not counted as a vacation day, no one is like counting it, but no one is allowed to work. 
and we do it on the weekend, so we get a three-day weekend, and everyone can just stop and relax and breathe and think and be with their family because we're all going crazy, right? Uh, each in his, his own, her own way. So that's one. We also literally announced no meeting days because uh, we just had too many meetings. We want people to think and be creative because what we found, we actually increased productivity and reduce creativity in the last few months. So those were some examples of over-communication, forcing people to take time off, no meeting days, to really help people just, just survive in this, mentally survive in this reality. And I think people appreciate that, and it's our job. You lead the company, you lead people, take care of them, especially now uh, with all this mess, especially in a global company. We have so many different stages of COVID uh, going on. And I told everyone, look, this will get worse. This is in March. It will get worse before it gets better. And I, like you, I believe it will be a second wave and you have to be robust and ready for it because this is not an overnight uh, kind of issue. Then we focus our attention on the community and something I'm very proud we did, we actually did not try to go to the press about it on purpose, is just help the community. And we said anyone who needs analytics to fight COVID-19 will get it for free. We will help them, we'll give them people for free. That's our small way to help. We're not doctors, I don't have masks to give, uh, I don't have you know, billions of dollars to give to charity, but I have good technology. And I'm proud to say we have multiple organizations using us, all the way from dashboards to, for ventilator production uh, uh, to people with diabetes and how it impacts them uh, and their ability to get COVID, to communities using science analytics to deal with the, the disease. Uh, and it's the most fulfilling thing you can do. Lastly on the business, um, we went to all our customers, over 2,000. We reached out to each and every one and asked one question, how can we help? Some it was technology, some it was, you know, they need to spread some payments for a few months because they're challenged. Some it was advice. Some asked us about our customer success so they can learn how to reach out to their own people. Depends on the company, but just helping our customers. We're a customer first company. Um, so that's our duty to help them. And you'll be shocked how many just benefit they reach out asking how can we help? It's so obvious and so material. Um, so we're doing that. We saw like everyone is slowed down in March, but actually it picked up again in April and we are growing. Uh, you know, maybe not as fast as we planned to grow a few months ago, but we are growing, closing deals faster and faster as the, the weeks go by. Uh, strategically, this is accelerating the need for analytics accelerating the digital transformation of companies, accelerating the needs to understand and optimize, accelerating the need to um, become more efficient as a business. So strategically, it's a very good thing for the analytics and big data market. Uh, short term, obviously, we're all human beings and we deal with this complexity. Yeah, so uh, I guess kind of leading on, on to that, right? I think you guys have uh, just uh, sent out press release uh, today or, or yesterday around how businesses have been using analytics uh, to, to fight uh, COVID or help themselves get through COVID. Uh, yeah. uh, can you share about uh, so, some insights in, into that report? Sure. So we approach uh, just over 500 companies, asking them this, the same five, six questions, which is your usage of analytics in the context of COVID-19 before, after. And we did that first for ourselves, right? It wasn't a publicity stunt. It was, hey, what do we... Uh, what can we find out about our market? Uh, and we, we thought it's really valuable to share as well. First, 49% of the people said that analytics are more important 
post-COVID-19 than before. Only 5% said it's less important. So clearly people believe this can help them um, survive or deal with COVID-19. What was interesting is what are they doing with it, right? So number one, it's more valuable, more important. When you ask them why, it's very interesting. The large companies in the survey say that it's important for them to cut costs, become more efficient, etc. Small businesses, though, are saying it's much more important to go on the offense, sell more, uh, build new services, right? Uh, sales and marketing, etc. When you look more deeply, it is people are saying, how can we use data to predict the future so we can plan the business better? And how can we support our customers better? I'll give you one data point that is amazing. We have a very large Fortune 500 travel company. Their revenue went down de facto 100%. Analytics usage went up by their customers over 40%. It's kind of weird, right? There's way less traffic and analytics volume is going up because every customer is trying to understand what's going on. Where can I save money? How can we optimize our travel? When can I get a refund from which company? How should I plan for the future? How do I get employees from Office A and B given all the universal lockdown? Um, so this is a, a great anecdote. Revenue down 95, 100%, analytics up. 40%. And we see it across many, many businesses. We had a small company, it's a family company, and they do uh, desserts, right? Like the desserts, and they deliver them to restaurants and hotels. Well, guess what? No restaurant or hotel buys gourmet food right now. They use analytics to understand that very quickly, read the patterns, pivot the entire business to become B2C. Because at the same time, we find the website being hit by individuals trying to buy gourmet food for home, which they never did. So analyzing their business, they found out the B2B side is dying. The B2C side, which they don't have, is an opportunity. And they pivoted the entire company in eight weeks. So people use analytics uh, all the time. If you think about it, why do you need analytics? Because your gut is not strong enough. When is your gut not strong enough? When things change. That's when you need analytics. If it's all the same, you don't need data. So, um, so that's what we're seeing. Quite interesting. Interesting use cases there in terms of like how the community and your customers are using analytics to help them through COVID. Uh, I'm keen to know. So you're running a uh, hundred million plus ARR, uh, you know, company. So yep. you, as the CEO, how are you you using analytics to to help you uh, do your job and, and grow SciSense? I will be a failing leader without analytics and my things will not be as good without using data. Now, you know, what, you know what they said, rule number one, trust the data. Rule number two, trust your gut. If you don't agree with the data, it has to be a balance. Otherwise robots will, will run the companies, right? It has to be a balancing act. However, I can tell you we are using analytics, number one in customer success. We sliced all our customers by vertical. When it's a startup by funding stage to know how we're doing, by usage, how we can help them was a really bottom-up, company by company, analyzing them and getting dashboards and insights, how we can help them, and forecasting what we expect to see on collections, on renewals, etc. Number two, we found out some verticals are behaving very differently than others, and what we did is refresh the entire pipe accordingly. 
So by now I can tell you in May, and we're now end of May, analytics are uh, uh, helped us refresh the entire pipe. And we've done that to really spend more energy with the verticals that uh, are open to business than not. And some of it was surprising and not expected. We have many travel companies actually asking to use analytics more than three months ago, which is totally counterintuitive, but the data showed us it's needed. And the reason is we're using the opportunity to upgrade their infrastructure and help their customers during those weird times. I would not expect that based on my gut. That's number two. Number three was around our entire operation, the remote work. Are we more productive? Are we more creative? We actually found out our support team is more productive than ever. The number of, of tickets we can handle or anything we do is better. But our R&D team is less creative when it's a new task because we need time to, to get together and we do that less. So how would you know all of that at a large company, hundreds of people, global, working from home? Uh, so that's what we do. And um, we help our customers with it uh, the same way. What about in, I think in, the, in the sort of use case, let's say the beginning of the year, like uh, um, most companies, CEOs and, and their exec teams, they're, they're planning you know, for, for, for the year ahead, um, uh, you know, doing their, their P&Ls budgets, thinking about their teams, et cetera. Yep. And then certainly uh, as COVID came, the, these plans, a lot of them are being sort of like ripped up. Um, you, you know, in, in this instance, you know, how has, uh, or how can you use kind of analytics for, for planning long-term and then even what we're seeing and a lot of the CEOs I'm speaking to right now, they're planning for 30 days ahead almost only because they don't know what the future holds. So yeah. how, how, how can you use analytics in, in this scenario? It's a very good question. First, every plan is the wrong plan by definition. Right? The question is how wrong. Second, I would claim that every business on the planet, successful due to COVID and not successful, had to redo their plans. Zoom, probably the most benefiting company from all of this, had to focus their entire energy now on security and scale because they're doing things they never did before. Schools, my kids graduate over Zoom. That was not in their roadmap to do kids graduation over Zoom, right? Um, all the e-commerce sites, or seeing demand they've never seen before. Um, B2B companies become B2C companies. My point is, all the plans three months ago are, were irrelevant post-COVID. Remote work, everything. And anyone not redoing their plan is, is going to be hit for sure. Analytics can help you predict. Predict patterns, predict the future. Analytics can tell you when you're turning around a corner, right? Because we've seen a dip. When are you getting out of the dip? And we're leading indicators that are much more valuable than lagging indicators. Revenue is a lagging indicator. By the time you see revenue going up again, you're too late. You should look at interest, at dialogues, at feedback from customers, right? So analytics can help you predict and assess. Second, analytics can help you slice and dice your business to find where, because it's not a, a cookie cutter, it's not a one size fits all. Some verticals, some countries, some use cases are in a totally different market reality than others. Uh, lastly, analytics can help you manage the teams to avoid burnout, to understand, I am now dealing with a real challenge. Should I renew the lease on one of my large offices? That's a, how do you know the answer to that, right? Analytics are helping us. Uh, we actually did some surveys with our uh, employees 
we connected that data with the, where they live data. Which one said they want to move to another state in the US? Because many want now to move to a lower cost state. Why live in San Francisco when you're locked in a box? It costs a lot of money and cannot get out. So data is really helpful. Lastly, many of our customers embed analytics in the products they give their own customers. And you can help companies do that because it gives more value to their customers in times like this. A lot of our listeners are more on, you know, the early stage SaaS startups, the kind of growth stage SaaS startups and um, BI tools, uh, you, you know, perhaps there, there may be a perception that they're more aimed at, you know, the enterprise because of the price points uh, uh, and, and so on. Um, so what can they do if you're an early stage startup, uh, you know, uh, uh, as a SaaS CEO and you want to use analytics to be the superpower, but perhaps you think it, it's out of your reach, what can you do? Um, it's a really good question. It's not only the uh, size of the company, it's also the technology. A modern startup in May 2020 has a cloud data warehouse on Redshift, Snowflake, BigQuery, and the like. They have a data team, either under R&D, CFO, what that depends on the size. They have data engineers, data analysts, etc. They don't want a drag and drop tool that uh, you know a Fortune 500 wants, and they don't want something that deals with Hadoop and on-premise. They need native cloud, uh, native uh, cloud data warehouses. So I'm proud to share that we actually merged with a company called Periscope Data out in San Francisco, whose product is only designed for those companies. We have thousands of startups just on that product called Sysons for Cloud Data Teams. It's for data teams on the cloud, cloud native, running on Snowflake, Redshift, BigQuery uh, right now for those people. And it speaks their language. We use R, Python, SQL to get insights. It's very agile. Everyone from Zoom to PagerDuty, from Tinder to uh, uh, Unity, right, are using it to uh, uh, run their business. And I would encourage them to take a look. It's not a Fortune 500 BI company. It's designed for those teams and it's very cost effective for them. And the reason it's important now more than ever, first, it's a muscle you must build. It will, if you done well, it should save money from day one. You spend X, you should save 10X on the insights you bring, on the sales optimizations, on the customer success improvements, on the manual labor you will not do, on the agility it provides. So it should save money if not me or whoever you use is you know, not giving you the right value. And it should make your people super people, right? Super users, uh, superpower, because it makes your data engineer or data scientist almighty. Today they waste 80% of our time on dealing with data massaging that is a waste of time they can get it all done by software and automation. Um, and to the CEOs or the VP sales or the CFO, I would say, if you're not running your business on data, especially SaaS company, you're running blind. You need usage analytics, Salesforce analytics, funnel analytics, customer success analytics, uh, website visitors analytics, trial analytics. How can you do that manually? It's, it's crazy. You'll be speaking at uh, Remote, as we said at the, the, the beginning of the show. Um, what will you be speaking about? What will we learn from you uh, and from you at all? So my belief, and you can see I'm very passionate about it, I've done it now for, for a few companies, is that every company, especially SaaS company, but every company is a data company. You're sitting on a goldmine of data you underestimate. You may use the data only to answer tickets. 
diagnostic, IoT operations, whatever it is you do, you're sitting on a goldmine of data and that data can become its own product. I believe that every SaaS company sooner or later would provide embedded analytics, embedded data science, embedded self-service analytics in their product to leverage the data they sit on. They will monetize it. UiPath, right, great tech company, the fastest growing one, using sizes to monetize the, da the data they sit on and give value to their own customers. Or to run the business better, like PagerDuty, but you're sitting on a gold mine that is, if not leveraged well, is a missed opportunity. And there are some basic tricks that you can use tomorrow morning to start either using it to run the business better or to give better value to your customers, reduce churn, increase win rate, charge it, charge for it as an extra module, depends what you do. And it's amazing how people underappreciate the data we already sit on for day-to-day -day running the company, running the meal, uh, say. So I'll give many examples. It's not a sales pitch. If, if I'm doing a sales pitch, I'm wasting your time. It's really my lessons learned as a CEO and what to see with many, many customers, many SaaS companies using data to become better, faster, sharper, be more differentiated, differentiated more competitive, um, and grow the business faster. Awesome. Well, looking forward to watching that talk on the scale stage at SaaS.remote. Uh, uh, and our final uh, question that we always ask our guests is, uh, how do you stay healthy and sane, uh, you know, on, on your journey? I, I, I saw you have a little sports injury there. Or, yeah, healthy, you know, I just injured my hands. So I don't know what's healthy. But, but how, what's your way of staying healthy and sane as you lead a company of 800 people? So I, I do three things. One is uh, I, I plead guilty. I'm a gamer. So sometimes late at night when everyone is asleep, I open, uh, you know, be it, uh, um, you know, a strategy game or some other game and just play a few hours and forget about anything that relates to revenue and SaaS. You know, I like to I kill some monsters, conquer some hills and uh, build some fortresses and I love it. And I've been doing it from uh, Civilization 1, if people remember it. So that's one. The second one is I, I work hard, play hard. I think work-life balance is an oxymoron. It doesn't exist. So I don't have balance. When I work, I work like a dog. And when I don't work, I enjoy life. I used to do Burning Man, but they shut it down. So uh, whatever it is, good vacations. I went to, uh, you know, uh, uh, Machu Picchu a year ago, uh, hiked up. It was amazing. So I walk out, play hard. And lastly, right now with COVID-19, I just tried to go out. Uh, you know, last week I went to the Poconos in, uh, and had the, the weekend there. Socially distancing myself with myself at, uh, at an Airbnb there. And this is the result of uh, having a bonfire late at night with the family and not paying attention to uh, uh, what's going on. But look, we're all going through tough times. CEOs or not, doesn't matter. We all work harder than ever. I enjoy working, but I enjoy detaching myself from work. Find your place to not work. Be with yourself. It's a computer game or vacation. Um, I think work-life balance is hardest than ever. It doesn't exist. Work hard when you work hard. Enjoy life, turn on the phone, turn off the phone when needed. When I'm watching a net Netflix with my wife, the phone is away because I cannot be next to it and not peek at an email. Um, you know, we all find our own uh, little things to do it. If you run a company, force your people to take time off because right now no one will do it. They'll feel guilty. If they do it, everyone else will send them emails and Slack. So it's not a vacation anyway. Force them to take time off. They deserve it. You owe it to them and they'll appreciate it. Great. Well, well great advice to, to end the show there.
Uh, Amit Orad, uh, CEO of SciSense, thanks so much. Looking forward to your talk at, at SaaS.remote on, on June the 10th. And uh, yeah, thanks for being a great guest on the SaaS Revolution Show. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. If you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash remote for SaaS Remote, our online conference, which is coming up on June the 10th and 11th. Use code SASREVOLUTION to get 20% off your already cheap tickets and join SaaS founders from across the world for this two-day event. Uh, you know, I am biased, but it looks like the best conference happening in June online and yeah hopefully we'll see you there